0: Gentlemen, and welcome back to another missed goaltend. My name is Zach Cronin, and I'm grateful that you'd come and spend a few minutes with me here today before ultimately moving on to bigger and better things. The first order of business for today's episode is to discuss the Toronto Raptors and how they are the hottest team in the association right now. As of last night, they are riding a 15 game winning streak and their 15th win coming over. The Minnesota Timberwolves, I believe the final score was 137 to 120. I'm about to fact that fact check that for you guys real quick. Uh, 137 to 126, excuse me. That, however, is not the most impressive victory that the Raptors have claimed up to this point. On this incredible streak, they have five wins against playoff teams, those teams being Oklahoma City, Philadelphia, the Indiana Pacers twice and the Brooklyn Nets. Now, this streak has been made possible by the Raptors being an elite offense and also a very solid defense. Um, Defensively, for the entire season, they've been fantastic. The offense hasn't been as great as the defense, but the difference has been marginal. uh, For the season... They rank ninth in points per game and fifth in points per game allowed. Their efficiency, as per basketball reference, is 12th as far as offense is concerned and second for defense. Now, this streak, they have eclipsed the 130-point mark three times, and they actually are the highest-scoring team in the league over these 15 games with a nightly scoring average of 121.2 points. The Raptors are slightly edging out both the Milwaukee Bucks and the New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans, excuse me, who are at 121.1 and 121 respectively. Toronto also sits atop the league in offensive rating, producing a scorching 118.7 points per possession, which is seven points higher than their season average. They once again hold a slight lead over Dallas and Utah. Dallas is the only other team above 118 at 118.4, and Utah is just below at 117.3. Now, Toronto's offense, as you can tell, has taken a step forward over the last couple weeks, and it's been quite a giant step. They have seven guys averaging more than 17 points per game. In the lead, Pascal Siakam at 21.7. He is followed by Kyle Lowry at 18.2. Fred Van Van me, is third at 17.7. Serge Ibaka at four at 17.4, and Norman Powell bringing up the rear at 17.3. Now Pascal Siakam, he is the driver of the Raptors' offense. I'm not sure anybody is going to deny that things run through him. He is their best, most consistent option on the offensive end of the floor. Um, there's really not much. There's really not much more I can say about him. His over the last couple of years, he's come on super strong. And it appears that being the first option isn't impacting him at all, which is fantastic for such a young guy to have his role increased by so much over one season. It's He's been playing spectacularly. Now, it does help having Kyle Lowry to be your number two. Lowry, over the last couple of years, has been, I don't want to say inconsistent, but he's def- he's had some ups and downs. So... This season in particular, he is scoring the most points since 2016 17, which is fantastic for the Raptors' offense. They are better when Kyle Lowry is operating at a high level. So, for this stretch, not only is he shooting, and not only is he shooting, not only is he scoring 18 points a night, he's shooting 47% from the floor. Now, for the season as a whole, his shooting clip is only 42.2%, which is a little bit below his career average, but then again less than ideal now it's not really a problem when he isn't of a focal point of the offense as far as scoring as concerned where Lowry makes his biggest impact is as a passer so this season as a whole it's up to seven and a half assists a game down last season from 8.7 now for the stretch he's dropped a little bit further down to 6.9 which is expected he is just he's been more of a threat. Offensively, but it's also expected because Fred Van Vliet has really risen to prominence over the last couple of weeks. He is almost as productive as Kyle Lowry. Kyle has a slight edge in points and assists, but Van Vliet is shooting a glistening 45.5% from three. That is a wonderful mark, not only for Van Vliet, but it's encouraging for the Raptors offense because they have more – they have more room to move around, it's more room to operate, especially Siakam, who is a slasher. He will try to get into the paint. He's a reliable shooter, but the three-ball isn't a huge part of his offense just yet. I believe for the season he's only averaging a couple attempts per game. No, oh, I'm lying. Wow. He's up to 5.8. Excuse me. So the three-ball is now a considerable a considerable part of Siakam's game, but he's he's at his best when attacking, going downhill, getting to the free throw line. So having Van Vliet. And Norman Powell, believe it or not, to space the floor has really helped push this Raptors offense to a new level. Now, Norman Powell might be the most interesting. At 17 points at what is it, 17.3 points tonight? I'm this is probably the best basketball of his career. I mean, after playing minimal minutes over the last two campaigns, Powell has earned a spot in the rotation. He's earned a spot in the starting lineup if that's what Nick Nurse chooses to do. He hasn't been starting of late. He's actually missed the team's most recent four games. But that option is there. When he comes back, when he's healthy, um, we don't know when that's going to be. Hopefully he'll continue to stay in rhythm. But 40.7% from 3 and 17 points per night is just spectacular and to get those numbers from someone who pff, I'm not sure most people expect to produce like this is just stellar now those are without a doubt the Raptors five best players in the postseason if they all continue to produce at this rate Nick Nurse will rely on them considerably and that's fine that's his prerogative that's what he wants to do it's worked. it's a fantastic five-man lineup now the rest of the team, if I can pull up... Let me just pull this up. Last 15 games. So, after them, this is where it gets a little interesting. So, you have Marcus who's averaging 11.8 points and 5.9 rebounds. And right after him in scoring, we have Terrence Davis. Now, Terrence Davis has come out of nowhere. This kid... So, Davis... Terrence Davis, 22 years old, undrafted out of Ole Miss, has appeared in all 54 games for the Raptors this season. Now, only recently has he come alive, more or less. So, over the stretch, in just 18 minutes, he's averaging 10.9 points and 4.3 rebounds. He's also shooting something absurd from the field, shooting about 44 54% from the floor, and 52% from three. This makes the Raptors just a bit deeper, and it gives them a presence off the bench. Now, I know Terrence Davis isn't. He doesn't compare to someone like Siakam or Ibaka, but having a high-efficiency guy who can get a couple easy buckets every now and then, it's something that every team needs. Now, he's not the most... Skilled guard on the Raptors roster, but as long as he's hitting threes and doing what it takes to keep the team or to keep the offense chugging along, that's wonderful. Now, admittedly, I haven't watched much of the Raptors over the last couple of weeks, so I haven't been able to fully absorb the impact of Terrence Davis, but that six-man rotation is one of the most entertaining in the NBA, just going off of the numbers alone and how they've beaten up teams over the last couple of weeks it's something that we really haven't seen that often I mean we've seen it from the Milwaukee Bucks but you expect that considering they have Giannis who's probably going to be the league's MVP they've just been pounding teams but that team on paper is much more talented than the Raptors and yet the Raptors have they've made a case to be a contender again without Kawhi Leonard and that's just as impressive as anything else now one thing that I don't want to say is worrisome, but the Raptors defense as far as volume is concerned is average. So, for these last 15 games, they are allowing 110.6 points per game. That is tied for 14th in the in the league. Their efficiency is much better at 108.3. It's down a little bit from their season average, but it's kind of it's kind of a give and take. The offense has become more explosive, the defense is suffering just a little bit, but the six teams that they're behind Milwaukee, Memphis, the Clippers, Philadelphia, and Boston. Milwaukee, best team in the NBA. Clippers, title contender. Philly, a potential title contender. I'm not really too sold on them. Boston's also a contender as well, as far as I'm concerned. Memphis, they're just a young team. Playoffs, playoff inbound, pardon me. Fun to watch. Although their defense has impressed me over the last couple of weeks, I must say. Now, how will this hold up? long-term. Um, I don't foresee it being much of a problem because, again, it's not like the Raptors are an atrocious defensive team. They are solid. They are very solid. Their volume is a little suspect at times, but they have shown the ability to limit teams' effectiveness. There have been three different occasions where their opponents have scored less than or fewer than 105 points. I mean, as long as they're respectable... I don't see why they can't lean on their defense when the offense fizzles out, most likely. I'm not sure that what they're doing is sustainable. At some point, they are going to regress and get back to their season average, which, again, is not bad. They are not a bad team. The Raptors are they're the second-best team in the Eastern Con- Conference for a reason. They are the only other team besides Milwaukee that has separated themselves from the pack. I mean, Toronto is a legitimate threat now. Do I see them topping the Milwaukee Bucks in an Eastern Conference Finals, in a potential Eastern Conference Finals matchup? No, but a seven-game series is likely. Six-game series is likely. It's going to be competitive. The teams are gonna, they're gonna battle. It's going to be Giannis and Siakam going head-to-head. Middleton, Lowry, guys are going to trade shots, um, make buckets. I think defensively is where Milwaukee has the edge, especially if Toronto struggles with keeping their volume low. I mean, the Bucs aren't exactly the what are they? They're not the most suffocating team. I mean, they do allow upwards of 107 points a night, which is still good, which is still a top 10 mark in the league. But the Raptors are closer to the midline. You just championship caliber teams; they have to be almost top 10 in offense and defense. That's a pre a prerequisite, especially now when there's so much talent and teams are so versatile. But the Raptors will finish the season as one of the best teams in the conference. Uh, Milwaukee is going to be right up there with them. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the second half of the season play out. Toronto has, uh, they have, especially for the next couple games, their schedule is on the easier side. So it's Tuesday as I'm recording this. This is probably going to go up Wednesday morning. They play the Brooklyn Nets Wednesday night. They then host the Phoenix Suns before facing the Pacers and the Bucks on Sunday and Tuesday. So the Raptors could stretch this to 17 games, possibly 18, because they've beaten the Pacers twice already. Now Milwaukee that that game is going to be fantastic. I that's that's one that I know I'm going to have to watch regardless of whatever this whatever the rest of the games on the slate are. I mean, two contenders going head to head. It's just it's it's can't miss TV. And then after that they have the Hornets, Nuggets, Suns, Warriors, yada yada yada. I don't want to go too far ahead because there is still a lot of season left to be played, but the Raptors, I'm, what are they on pace for? Sixty some odd wins or something like that. Just an incredible campaign. What Nick Nurse is doing is phenomenal. He's definitely gonna get some Coach of the Year recognition, and it's it's deserved. Doing all of this without a superstar, it's <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> his system, it just works. I don't, I don't I don't know what else to say. Siakam and Lowry, they really have a grip on what it takes to win, and then everyone else playing productively. This is really what it's all about. You need a well-rounded team to be a contender. As much as nice as it is to have star power, if your role players are below average, the team is not going to fare well. And the Raptors, they have a crop of very solid role players. And I didn't even mention OG Ananobi. Now his scoring, he's only scoring 8.7 points a night, but as a shooter, again, that's what the Raptors need to keep the floor open. He's making about 38% of his shots. Quality one-on-one defender. He's a big-bodied wing, very athletic, can contend with some of the other guys on the perimeter. But they have a very solid rotation. And Nick Nurse isn't afraid of to go nine or 10 deep. He's giving Rondé Hollis-Jefferson almost 20 minutes a night, which, I mean, Rondé, I loved Rondé when he was with the Nets, but offensively, he doesn't give you that much. He is most certainly defensive-minded wing. He does attack the boards as well, but they, the Raptors, they have a ton of quality pieces. I'm, again, I don't, anticipate them representing the Eastern Conference in the finals, but I don't want to rule that possibility out entirely. This team is very solid, very complete from top to bottom. Now, moving forward, I want to talk to a team that is— they're probably the antithesis of the Raptors, and that is the Portland Trail Blazers. More specifically, Damian Lillard. Now, even if you don't watch the Blazers that often, like I don't watch the Raptors that often— I don't watch the Blazers that often because they're not in my market, but also because their games are up late and the East Coast is the worst time zone. I'm um, I'm not staying up till 1 a.m. to watch the Blazers. I have a hard enough time staying up to watch the Lakers, and that they're the Lakers or the Clippers. They're, I'm I'm not doing it. Call me a baby. I don't care. Your boy needs to sleep. So Damian Lillard, over the last 12 games, has been playing the most ridiculous basketball of his career this man over the last 12 games is averaging 40.3 points and 9.2 assists he has a true shooting percentage of 67.7 percent that is absurd now true shooting is an advanced metric where it accounts for threes being worth more than twos but it also accounts for free throws. Now, Lillard is very reliable from the free throw line. His efficiency from the floor can be a little all over the place, but he's a high hes a high volume guy. You can't really expect high volume guys to be that efficient. Now, for him to average this point total on this shooting is just absurd. For context, Steph Curry's, what was it, 2015-16 season? Yes, Steph Curry's season, which is widely regarded as one of, if not the most impressive offensive seasons, not just for a guard, but in NBA history that season, his true shooting percentage was 66.9. Two years later, his true shooting percentage was 67.5. Dame is undeniably one of the most entertaining players in the NBA right now, if not the most entertaining. He is just a hurricane. He's a tornado. He is every single natural disaster rolled into one. And despite that, the Blazers boast just a 25 and 29 record. Now, to their credit, over the last 12 games, they have gotten a little bit better. They are seven and five. Should be eight and four. Yes, they should be eight and four. The refs missed a blatant goaltending against Utah a couple nights ago. Brushing that to the side. They've beaten the Pacers, the Lakers, the Rockets, and the Jazz. Excuse me. The combined margin of victory over those four games is 48 points. That's very impressive for a team that is more or less one person. Also, they recently beat the Miami Heat by six points. Another impressive feat. The Heat are one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. Now, I'm just going to pull up the Blazers team here we'll sort this to the last 12 games okay let's see. oh my god unbelievable <laughs> this man the next closest blazer in scoring to Damian Lillard is CJ McCollum at 18.4 after that it's white Whiteside at about 16 Gary Trent, Carmelo Anthony, Kent Bazemore Trevor Ariza those guys are the only guys on the team averaging more than ten points. But I mean, Dame has had to produce like this. I mean, it's also impressive what Hassan Whiteside is doing at six, at about sixteen and fourteen a night. Um, Carmelo Anthony has tapered off a little bit. His shooting has been very stinky as of late. He's at thirty-seven percent overall, thirty-one from three. Now, Gary Trent Jr. is also quite surprising. points on 52% shooting. Now, McCollum, in particular, this season has not been that kind to him. And it's unfortunate. So, he's at 21.3 points for the season. Inherently, that is a decent mark. However, it doesn't deviate much from what he's done over the past two seasons. In fact, since winning most improved player... No, I'm kidding. Since averaging 23 points in 2016-17, which was the season after he won Most Improved Player, he hasn't improved. He's more or less stayed the same. Essentially, he's at his ceiling. Now, the shots haven't changed that much. He's at, over the last three years, what's his cumulative? 18.4, which is fine for a second option. Um, His shooting, it's okay. The one area where he suffered most is at the free throw line. After leading the league with 91 at 91.2% in 2016, 17, he's fallen to 83.6, 82.8, and now at 74.1. Now, McCollum also hasn't been available for all the games during the stretch. He's at nine. Nine games played. Um, let's see. Yeah, I The Blazers have had to lean on Damian Lillard just over the last couple of games. I mean, he's been their team. Without him, they would... I don't even want to think about how many games they they would have lost if he wasn't in the lineup. Now, this recent surge from Lillard has brought him back into the MVP conversation. And I say back because he had a similar stretch At the beginning of the season, over the Blazers' first, what was it, 12, 13 games, 11, excuse me, over the Blazers' first 11 games, Lillard was averaging 32.5 points and 6.6 assists. He was also shooting about 50% from the field. He had 60 against, who was it? He had 60 against the Nets on November 8th. Now, those are high quality numbers. The issue, however, is team wasn't winning and the team although they're winning now it's not at a rate that'll offset their slump so what was it they were it? one two three four and seven over the first 11 games and that slow start it just it killed any momentum that they were looking to amass they are now up to 25 and 29 as i believe i mentioned earlier but it's not enough for Lillard to be a legitimate MVP candidate. He has the numbers without a doubt. He has the numbers. He's at 29.9 points and 6.9 assists or 7.9 assists. Pardon me. His true shooting again, spectacular at 62.5%, but the team has to win. And while it's, it, you could say it's partly Lillard's fault. I don't entirely agree with that because the team is just not set up for success. But he's not, he, I don't know how much more or I don't know what else he could do. I mean, the team just, the team is not that great. And the field for MVP is stacked. You have Giannis and you have LeBron. To me, those are the two front runners. Maybe you could throw Nikola Jokic in there with the Denver Nuggets, but those those guys, it's their it's their award to lose. I also had Luka Doncic earlier in the season, but he's had a couple injuries of late and hasn't been playing that much. I mean, you have to be healthy to win the MVP. But both the Bucs and the Lakers are on pace to be two historic teams. The Bucks are at forty six and seven right now, the Lakers at forty and twelve, both of which won Monday evening. Now, Giannis not only is his team the best team in the NBA, his numbers are historic. He's at thirty points, thirteen and a half rebounds, and five point. What is it? Five point eight assists. Now I'm gonna head over to Basketball Reference. I'm going to pull up their play index. Go to their season finder. So we yeah, have this stat line has been replicated twice, three times. Pardon me, twice by three different players. Wilt did it. And Elgin Baylor did it. However, those feats came back in the 60s when basketball was entirely different to how it is now. So Giannis is the first modern player in history to produce a 35 a 30, 15, and 5 line. LeBron, on the other hand, is at 24.7.7.7 rebounds, 10.8 assists, and the Lakers boast a, a 40 and 12 record. I think I said that already. I can't remember if I repeat myself or not. Oh, God. So, I was Team LeBron for the longest time, and I'm still Team LeBron. However, I may switch to Giannis by the end of the season. Now, just because those two are the frontrunners doesn't mean that Dame is going to get zero votes. I would not be surprised if he was named a finalist for the award. Would I agree with it? Probably not, but it would not surprise me. If he finished top five, I would not be surprised. Uh, he's, I could see him finishing top 10 at the lowest, but the, t- the record just doesn't compare, and that has to be taken into account. Winning, for some people, may not matter as much in the MVP voting. I think when you're talking about an award of this caliber, you have to factor in everything, winning, numbers, all that. Now, you can look at a team like the Bucks and the Lakers and say, oh, well, uh, you know, it's LeBron and Giannis, and they, their teams are better, whatever, yada, yada. I get that. It just doesn't do anything for me because Lillard is at his ceiling and the Blazers are barely a 500 team. They're, I, they're two wins above. What do you want me to do with that? So I love Dame. I love watching him play. He's, just, he's fantastic. I don't know anyone who has anything bad to say about him. I just don't think that he should be the MVP. And look at LeBron, look at Giannis, look at their teams. They're they're playing better, and they're putting up better numbers. It's just it's how it is. I mean, I don't know if this is even really like a hot take to say that Dame doesn't deserve the MVP. I, if the Blazers were like thirty five and thirty, or thirty five and twenty eight, or something. It would be much different, but they aren't even, they're not even at 500, and I don't know how much longer, let me, let's me let pull up their schedule, let's see how much longer they can stretch this out. So they have their next five opponents, New Orleans, Memphis, New Orleans again, Detroit, Boston, and Indiana. Now, the last six games are coming out of the All-Star break so the teams are going to be well rested all that stuff how do we, how do we see the blazers doing i'm mean, they could beat new orleans they might beat memphis they also might not uh they'll probably ha- they'll probably beat the pistons the celtics and the pacers i, I just I, I don't know how i feel about that so whatever uh is there anything else i want to talk about i covered the raptors uh, covered dame not being an mvp um, I don't know. I know Marvin Williams just got scooped up by Milwaukee. That's a killer signing. Williams is, is a big body. Shoots the three well. Adequate defender. And the Bucks. with each passing day, I just see them more and more as the eventual champion. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they are the most complete team in the NBA. Now I know I was just saying that about the Raptors, but what? The one thing the Bucs have is they have a superstar. They have a super duper star in Giannis. The Raptors, if they had a player of Giannis's caliber, they they would be the Bucs. That's the only difference between the two teams. But they have they are exceptionally deep. They have, what is it? 12 guys who are consistently playing double digit minutes. And Giannis is barely over 30. You throw Marvin Williams into the mix, and the bench just gets a little stronger. I. They have... They're just... They're a perfectly built team. I just, there's There's not much more I could say about it. Um, the Lakers, on the other hand, while well, we're... Since we just got done talking about Giannis and LeBron, let's bounce on over to there. Uh, the biomarker for them. I... It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So there's someone like Dion Waiters, Jarrah Smith, I think there was a report about him, but I don't know what the Lakers are going to do, man. It's tough. I mean, they're, they're surviving on LeBron and AD, but their team is... Yeah, there's something. There's something. I mean, they just got to find a consistent... They just got kind of to find a little bit more consistency. You know, not. I'm, I'm mainly pointing at Kyle Kuzma because they, it's like they have the two stars, two superstars, and then Kuz just isn't filling the role that many expected him to fill. He was supposed to be that third guy, you know, consistent shot creator who could alleviate pressure from Davis and LeBron. And he just simply has not been that. I mean, he's shooting 33% from three. He's averaging 12 points. He's the team's third leading scorer at 12.8 points per game. I mean, that's the that's the one issue for them, is they don't have a third guy. And I, I want to see how they overcome that in a playoff series. I mean, having LeBron and AD to lean back on is fantastic, but... Things, things are different in the playoffs. We know this. It's not the same as just, you know, rampaging through the regular season, blasting opponents by 25. The elite coaches, should they face one, <coughs> will probably be able to construct a game plan to slow them down. Fortunately, the defense is solid, but, again, I want to see how all this plays out, and if anyone they can scoop off the waiver wire can actually, you know, Produce for them consistently. I think that's everything. Yeah, I believe it is. Once again, thank you guys for listening. It was a pleasure. Follow me on Twitter. Visit my website for more content. Please like, subscribe, leave a rating. Um, If you like me, leave a nice one. If you didn't like me, leave a mean one, whatever. It's up to you. Thanks again, and I will see you all next week.